Hello, and welcome to another amazing episode of Two Guys Reviewing Stuff. I'm Justin Meltzer. And I'm Andy Condon. And today, we are going to be doing our part two, phase two, if you will, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we're going to be covering the entirety of phase two of the universe, and this is pretty much everything after the first Avengers movie, right? After the second Avengers movie, I think it includes Ant-Man as well. So we're going to be getting kind of a nice six-movie group going on, and uh, it should be pretty fun. What do you think, Andrew? I mean, there's a lot going on in this in this time period. You're talking about 2013 all the way until about 2015. You're really introducing a lot of new elements, a lot of new characters. We saw Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a huge success where people oh, yeah. didn't really expect it to be. And we saw a couple other films that really, you know, they didn't play off as well as they should have, or there were kind of a misfire, but we'll go into it. So there's a lot of good, there was some bad, but it was really a kind of a trial and it error It was a period. mixed bag. It was a mixed bag. I would say that. For this for this entire phase, there were some, like you said, there were some really good ones we're going to get into soon, and there were some not so good ones that I was not crazy about, and then there were some kind of okay ones, if you will, I guess. Uh, let's just dive right in, shall we? Sure. What do we got first? First movie up, boom, Iron Man 3. The third Iron Man. Iron Man 3, uh, directed by Shane Black. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about Shane Black and what sure. he's done? Sure. So Shane Black, he's m- well most well known for a film he did way, 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 way back when, and I believe it was 2005, called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss now, Kiss Bang Bang. I've heard this was a good film. I'm just going to be transparent. I haven't seen it. I have. It's pretty good. It was really good, actually. It was a very interesting kind of neo-noir. Not neo-noir. Like, like neo-noir, not like Blade Runner neo-noir. That's too neo. Like, a little less neo than that, but definitely more neo than, like, you know, uh, Touch of Evil or something like that. Some mm-hmm. actual noir film. But the point is, it did also star Robert Downey Jr. Oh. So they had a little bit of chemistry going on there between the two of them. I didn't know that. And uh, Val Kilmer was in it. So... You know, Good old Val Kilmer. Second Batman. He was the second Third, Batman. Um, anyway, uh, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. both starred in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was the only movie that Shane Black did before, as a director, before Iron Man 3. Yeah. Which is crazy when you think about it. Iron Man 3 was a multi-billion dollar movie, practically. It was the only thing that came close to uh, breaking the Avengers record right after the Avengers came out. And it's eight That's years. Big. That's eight years between the movie, right? That's, That's crazy. That's a long time for, for a director to have a hiatus. And I know he was probably producing and writing a lot. Yeah. But have an eight-year dry spell between directorial uh, work and then being brought in to direct the third in right. the Iron Man franchise. That's a big task. Who does he think he is? Stanley Kubrick? Come on. <laughs> what is this guy? I don't know. So there was a lot going on. So let's let's dive into Iron Man 3. Who, yeah. who is in this thing? Who, so who is in this movie? The movie obviously had Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. returning, Don Cheadle, of course, coming back as the uh, uh, roadie, uh, roadie, so to speak. Colonel uh, Rhodes. Not, not the original, but no. the, the newer one. Eh. Um, ben Kingsley played the quote-unquote Mandarin. Uh, spoiler alert, guy, by the way, guys, if you haven't seen these movies, seriously, where have you been? This has been like six years, seven years ago. But seriously, uh, Ben Kingsley played the Mandarin, who was not what he seemed to be. Um, and of course, the the real bad guy in the end was Guy Pierce. Uh, he played Aldrich Killian. Uh, Rebecca Hall was in this movie. James Badge uh, Dale... 
some other people. There was a lot of that's people. That's about it. That's the, that's the big one. I mean, you also had um, Jarvis coming back in here. Yes. So this is... Uh, the voice the, of Jarvis. The voice of Jarvis, the future vision, and we'll go into that. Yes. In a couple movies from now, and we also have Happy. Maybe oh, Happy's here. Happy Hogan. So this was the first movie that uh, John Favreau did not direct from the Iron Man trilogy, and they gave it to someone else. Of course, Shane Black has the one who got it. But he came back as Happy, so at least we got to see a little bit of John Favreau. Uh, in the role that no one really cares about. You know, I actually, I would have loved to see the John Favreau film that could have been if he was directing this. They weren't going to give it to him after Iron Man 2. No, I, I know. That wasn't happening. That was a flop. But and was this one, did it do pretty well? I, this I, one did very well. Financially yeah. speaking, I think it made $1.3 billion. Am I right on that? Am I, I mean, close? I think it was within the cumulative worldwide gross was $1.2 billion. Yeah, $1.2. Okay, I was oh, pretty wow. close. It made over a billion. Like I said, oh my this gosh. Avengers came out the year before was one of the biggest blockbusters, if not the biggest at the time. This came close to approaching the Avengers money. This made over a billion dollars, but the budget was only two hundred. RDJ is for real. Like, that's a lot of money. The, the force is real with this guy. I mean, that's that's a heck of a take uh, for for them. For let's be honest here, not a great film. Let's no. talk about the movie. Yeah, sure. Because I, I want to talk about the movie. Yeah. I've been dying to talk about the movie. I know. We're, we're doing a rewatch show. We kind of haven't talked about the movie. This, so where do we find our hero, Tony Stark, at the start of this thing? He seems to be in a bit of a PTSD kind of place in his life. So uh, from the last movie that we see him in, which was Avengers, the one right before this, uh, he had to fight off the Chitauri aliens from New York City and then went into space with the nuclear warhead and then left it to blow up all the bad guys, right? And then he falls back down. I don't know how gravity took him back down from there, but it didn't matter. He fell back down to Earth and survived. Now, he is having post-traumatic stress disorder, nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And apparently, actually very explicitly, he says it's from New York. He doesn't know how to deal with it. I don't understand why. And here's my main reason. Here's my main gripe with this. Tony Stark, billionaire playboy philanthropist, genius billionaire playboy philanthropist, got trapped in a cave in Afghanistan a couple years prior, mm-hmm. built the Iron Man suit while he was there. He did. Literally had a piece of metal in his chest, a freaking electromagnet to keep shrapnel from invading his heart. Scary. Was... Kept under the supervision of essentially one of his captors, uh, who was also a captor themselves, really. But, uh, like, the people there were pretty much trying to kill him. And, um, essentially, he was in a place where he had to create a suit of armor in order to escape and leave with his life. You're telling me that didn't give him PTSD? I mean, really? You never listen. You know what? Going into space with the suit of armor that you built that is pretty much makes you invincible, aka the invincible Iron Man, and then falling back down from space after you literally save the day, that's what gives him PTSD. It so, makes no sense to me. Well, here here's the thing. Um I I think I can understand why it might have affected Tony the this way, because yes, he was over in Afghanistan, he was over trying to destroy the weapons that he created, but you're dealing with aliens. You're first of all, Tony Stark, the engineer, has to come to the grips with the fact that there's technology out there that he doesn't understand. That there are other civilizations out there in the universe that exist that that he doesn't he can't put in a box and label. He's he's a machinist. 
I mean, this guy is is an inventor. He's he's a mathematician. He's a technological genius. He was faced with something beyond his own comprehension. I guess so. And and that'll scare because then in his brain he's gonna think, well, well, crap, another wormhole could open up and more aliens could come. I gotta get ready. So. I actually disagree with you on this. Okay. I, I think that because of the way that Tony Stark thinks, the experience he had in New York, because of the way he thinks, could result in him having this panic disorder. Okay. I think more so than, than being stuck in a cave and having to build a, a metal armor from scratch. I think, oh, crap, aliens exist, and they could just pop into the in the in our world over New York and destroy us any minute. I think that probably is going to give him a little bit of a more difficult time sleeping than just, oh, I, I had to build some metal in a cave. Right. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And to be honest, uh, I'm not going to... I would never nitpick someone if they had an actual Dude, what PTSD if aliens abduct, right What if you're walking around one day and aliens abducted you? Would that affect you more than just getting mugged? I, just, I, I mean, they're both pretty stressful scenarios, so... Really? I don't know. You, you would not be more sh- more shell-shocked if getting abducted by aliens than just getting mugged? I think it's more of a power thing. Can, yeah. can he control aliens? Maybe that's why it is. He can't control what he doesn't understand. He understands the terrorists. He knows what they're doing, and he had a way to get out of that. So maybe that was it. Yeah. I don't know. All I'm saying is, again, if, he ha- if this was what it was, I get it. I just think it's also a little bit of a stretch to say um, that you know he didn't have any PTSD from Afghanistan, but he had plenty from this. It just... Yeah. Character motivation-wise, it, it seemed a little bit odd well, to me. Suspension let's, let's of disbelief. Let's, let's just yeah, give it Move past. So, Let, yeah, Tony's having a, he's having a rough time. So he's what happens after time. that? So after that, uh, he pretty much... Uh, he has these terrorist attacks are happening all over the country by the Mandarin. Um, let's talk about the Mandarin. So how, Mandarin. Is, how is the Mandarin portrayed? The Mandarin is not portrayed the way he was originally portrayed in the comics, which was essentially a racial stereotype of Chinese people. Not the best thing to do in modern day and age, especially especially when you're trying to sell a movie in China. Yeah. Which Marvel's always trying to do. Chinese market's huge on movies now. They want to make sure they're getting their, their money there. Uh, I but guess. they changed it around. They said the Mandarin was, and they kept the name the Mandarin, even though that alone is kind of racist. Uh, but they kept it, uh, they changed it in the sense that they gave it to Ben Kingsley, who was essentially this kind of terrorist, almost like the Ten Rings terrorist, which they were think trying to do in the yeah. first Iron Man. Yeah. Um and he was like, you know, terrorizing people until dun 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 they changed it around and flipped the script again and it turns out we find out the Mandarin is not actually a terrorist at all. He is simply a show. He is a facade used to distract uh from the actual issues at hand. Yeah, so that's where we we find uh, Aldrich Aldrich Killian played by Guy Pierce. Yes, I listen. Guy Pierce, he, he's in a lot. He's he's kind of pulled into a lot of films. I I really didn't buy his character in this. I didn't like his portrayal of of Aldrich Killian. I thought it was such a stereotype villain. It was a oh, way. I was picked on. Tony Stark made fun of me, and now I'm stronger, smarter, more attractive, richer, so on. I mean, we've seen this trope thousands of times. What the heck? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what they were... Maybe they were going for something that was a little bit kind of stereotypical and, and too and on the nose. But um, it was a little bit lazy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole idea that he had this super soldier serum, essentially, which was, let's be honest here... Throughout the entirety of the Marvel Universe, all we talk about is Super Soldier Serum. Isn't it? 
We talked about it in The Incredible Hulk. They talked about it, of course, a ton in uh, Captain America First Avenger. Yeah. Because it was all about the super soldier serum. They talked about it throughout the rest of the Avengers. They're saying, hey, we're trying to create the super soldier serum, okay. super soldier serum, super soldier serum everywhere. Yeah. They got serum on the ceiling. They were, got so much serum. Serum But on they the can ceiling. never get the serum right. Serum on the walls. That was the point. And then this guy comes in and has this new technology that allows people to, A, heal themselves from any physical injury, B, become way stronger, uh, better reflexes, pretty much the, everything the serum essentially promised, and C, breathe fire. Because that makes sense. Yeah, because you could totally breathe fire and, and generate yeah. energy from BTUs, I guess. Yeah, it's, it was science. Science. Science of the science. It's because of science. Blasting fire. But... Dragon people. It seemed a little bit of a stretch. And the other... Oh, a little bit? I'd say it was a lot of it. There's always going to be suspension of disbelief in these movies. Yeah. And they were talking about super soldiers and, and Iron Men and super hulks and things like that. I know, but it was founded... So superhero movies. But it was founded but in some just, semblance of reality. This is the first time that Marvel created something that was... It was fan- too much of a stretch for them, right? It was like a fantastic... It was, it was so goofy. It was goofy. That that's what it was. It, it was, was goofy. so goofy. I'm not saying it wasn't plausible, but I'm saying it was a little goofy. This is one of those movies, by the way, where you watch it and you realize I'm having a fun time. I'm enjoying this film. I think we all did that when we saw it. It made 1.2 billion. Obviously, people liked it and enjoyed it. Mm. But when you watch it again, that's what I challenge you to do. Watch this movie a second time. Realize how silly this movie is and how everything just doesn't make sense. And a lot of that is the plot. Yeah, the plot. About the plot. It doesn't. The plot doesn't make any dang sense. And I, I understand that Tony is trying to be a better partner for Pepper, and he's trying to showcase that he doesn't need to be Iron Man, but he actually needs to be Iron Man. And this has kind of been the whole thing throughout the entire run of these three films. Is you know I need to be Iron Man. I you know I don't want to be Iron Man, but it just it's yeah. nuts. You know they blow up his house. He goes out on this whole tiff of, oh, you know, Mandarin, you want to know where I am? Come and get me. Yeah. You know, they come, the Mandarin blows up the house. So he does it. He kills him. He pretty much almost kills almost him. Almost kills him. Pepper gets to get them armor because, I, you know, I guess Tony found a way to do that. And, um... Oh, yeah, they like to do that stuff. Um, what I find to be a major issue with this film is the fact that the all these terrible things are happening. People are dying. There's terrorists everywhere. Where are the Avengers for that? Right? Like, this is a major worldwide issue. Why is only Tony Stark the one handling it? Don't you think S.H.I.E.L.D. would have been like, oh, hey, Captain America, can you find this terrorist that's going to plan on killing multiple people all the time? Maybe we should take him out. Oh, hey, um, uh, Black Widow, maybe you should go undercover in this organization and find these guys, and then, you know, bring them to justice. Like, let's do something like that. No, it's just Iron Man. It's just uh, Rhodey in this Iron Patriot suit, which was so ridiculous too, by the way. And they're just going at it and saying, hey, we got to solve this ourselves. In other movies, when other things are happening, it made sense when they had to solve it themselves. Like, this was a personal issue maybe I had to deal with or something that the other heroes weren't available to deal with or whatever. This movie was the only one that really just didn't have any plausible explanation for why other no. heroes weren't coming in to help out with us. It was just, it was really, really messy and chaotic. Yeah. When the president gets kidnapped off Air Force One, I think they're going to send every available resource they have to find them and bring them to justice. I mean, yeah, that's what happens when you're building a universe. You expect that those elements are going to be able to pull from when, when shit hits the fan. Yeah. But in this, no, it was just Tony Stark freaking out, 
not being prepared and having to get crash landed in the middle of uh, nowhere and have some kid help him out. Yeah. It's just oh, the whole thing. With the I just didn't. So I, I didn't buy it. I thought it was stupid and plucky. And then Pepper apparently now has superpowers. Oh yeah, but and did she get rid of the superpowers, or did she keep those at the end? I don't remember. I have no idea. But we've they, never... they literally injected her with the same extremis serum that yep. the other bad guys had, and she literally survived a fall thirty stories down into a a ball of fire, and yep. then kills the bad guy somehow because yep. I thought he was unkillable, but she did it. Yeah, and then she didn't have this anymore. I have no idea. I also feel like if this stuff is is obviously safe, like. The people, if you don't blow up right away from this extremist uh, serum, you're pretty much set to go, right? Wasn't that the point? That's what the videos showed? I don't know. Why wouldn't you want to keep this? Sounds like a great power to have. Oh my gosh. They can so do this stupid. to multiple people. Yeah. You're only looking at walk, like one walking. in ten people who volunteer for this died. So it's uh. like, you could have nine super soldiers who are pretty much unkillable and one maybe blows up. Listen. I feel like the government's taking bigger risks with people like that than, than that. I do. So if you weren't, you and I weren't doing a rewatch show, would you have gone back and rewatched this? Um, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Again, it's one of those movies that I did enjoy watching the first time, and yeah. it was fun. And I will tell you, one of my favorite sequences in this film was when the people are falling out of Air Force One when they got sucked out of the uh, the cabin because of the pressure difference, and he had to go after them in the Iron Man suit. And save all them. That scene is powerful. You know, they all would have passed out, right? No. Because of the pressure? No. They fell out the plane and they were falling down to the ground. But they all had to grab hands and link hands together in order to be saved. Because he, could he couldn't carry one, multiple people back and forth to the ground. So he said, pretty much, if everyone grabs hands together... And it made sense, I think. Yeah. If you were all holding on to this, they would be able to like slowly bring everyone down at the same time. Because gravity is kind of pulling them together. I guess. I like the scene. Again, I like the scene. The only thing that took away from that scene was the fact that at the very end of it, you find out Tony wasn't even in the damn suit. Yeah. He, he was remotely controlling it. It's also like, oh, come on. That kind of just ruins some of the power of the scene. Yeah, I don't know. Just for I, a cheap laugh at the end so he gets hit by a truck. Like For me, this film was entirely forgettable. I wouldn't watch this film. I'd rather watch Frankenweenie than, <laughs> than, than sit down and watch Iron Man 3 again. I wouldn't say it was forgettable. What I would say is it had no bearing on the rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Every movie since then, before then, had something that added up. It always stacked mm -hmm. onto it. If you took this movie out of the entire universe, it wouldn't make a, a lick of difference because even though at the end he destroys all his suits and gets the shrapnel out of his heart, I guess the shrapnel was kind of useful, but... I mean, to get out of his heart. But he, when he destroys all his suits to like prove to Pepper that he's over this, completely undone by the next movie when we see him back as Iron Man of course. fighting crime and of fighting course. bad guys. Yeah. I mean, did anyone what? expect them to hang up the Iron Man? I, I just felt there were so many parts of this not film. Not $1.2 billion in the movie. Oh. Not, he's not going away. Yeah, I don't know. I just... Uh. So do you want to give this thing a candy rating before we move on to the next yeah, film? Yeah, let's give it a candy rating. Let's let's give it... Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a uh, uh, four... Banana flavored Laffy Taffy. Because you think you like it in the beginning, like, oh, fun, Laffy Taffy, I like this stuff. Then you realize it's banana, it's like, ugh, I don't really want that flavor. Then you realize it's Laffy Taffy, and you're like, ugh, it's stuck in my teeth, and I really am not enjoying this anymore. You know, so it was one of those ones where you think you're going to like, like it a lot, and you think, and you do it first, and then you stop liking it right after. Four you know, banana flavored Laffy Taffy. I'm going to give this a. Uh... A bag of uh, chocolate-flavored Werther's Originals. Ooh, the Werther's. Because I like the original Werther's. Right. I'm not a fan of the chocolate ones. Oh, no, not the chocolate ones. There's a weird aftertaste. 
it's not what you expected right. and it really doesn't satisfy that type of you know lozenge that the Werther's oh, yeah. really I know and you think you're getting a regular Werther's original no. but then you realize it's not the original no, it's original not. it's a chocolate original it's, and it's not and the it's same not even thing. chocolate not even. listen chocolate melts in your mouth chocolate is is it has a different not the Werther's though that's not chocolate that's some kind of caramel concoction that they thought would be enjoyable yeah. and like this movie might have made a lot of money at the start mm-hmm. but 10 mm-hmm. 20 years later can you even no find them anymore yeah in your in your grandparents house probably maybe so as we move on in 2013 also another film in the marvel phase two came out oh do we have to talk about this one and we have to talk about it i, I don't want to talk about it but let's let's go into it thor the dark world you can't and, even and say how, it with a straight face how dark how dark oh, was this? Oh, the darkest of worlds Oh my Thor. god, this was so bad. All right. And this oh. movie was directed by Alan Taylor. Alan Taylor, yeah. Who the heck is Alan Taylor? I don't even know. Who Alan, Alan Taylor. Has he done uh, anything else? Let's see what else he's done. I don't even know what he's done. I, 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 I'm honestly, looking it up here. So forgettable, I don't even remember this guy. He did a, he'd some TV series, Boardwalk Empire, Playboy any, Club. Any he did a couple episodes here and there. Oh. Mad Men. He did a couple episodes. He's done TV. He did The Sopranos, a bunch of Sopranos TV. This guy's only known for TV before this time. Listen, unless he's doing Arrested Development or Community, I don't really care about no, your TV this, work. This looks like his first non-TV televised. And guess guess what he did after this? What? Guess what he did? I don't know. Terminator Genesis. Oh Lord. Okay, <laughs> that says it all. Terminator Genesis. So we we give. Oh I'm God. so sorry. I'm so sorry for our audience who has to listen to this right now. I mean, I'm sorry that you have to listen to us reviewing Thor: oh, Dark World to begin with. I don't know we had why. To watch it. Why would they choose this person to, to direct like the second in the Thor series? Oh, I, don't I have know. no idea what. I mean, I don't even think Thor: Dark World even did very well regarding the critic consensus. I mean, I think it was I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it was pretty gnarly. Oh, it was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it, I. All the Marvel movies, I think, had mostly a positive review of the movies, but this movie was just by far the the, the lowest, I think, of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. In terms of what it what it did, I mean, uh, the movie starred, of course, our our returning hero Thor, played by Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Uh, Jane Foster, for some reason, was back, uh, played by Natalie Portman. Yeah. Uh, we of course had Anthony Hopkins returning uh, as Odin, Odin, and the only person who I think actually. Was even remotely I think I know what you're say. viewable in this movie. Tom Hiddleston oh, as Loki. So we all good. love him. We love to hate him. We love to love him. We love Loki. Keep Loki around. Again, it's nice to have Loki in the movie, but the rest of this movie, man. Loki. Loki was the only thing, the only thing in this movie that was worth even half of the ticket price. Like oh, yeah. again, and I've said on the earlier we did our Phase One rewatch a couple mm-hmm. uh, months ago. I would watch a film just about Loki if played by Tom Edelson. They might be doing that soon. I really hope so. Because think, he's such a good character yeah. and he does such a good job in this character that oh, you yeah. just, you love to hate him and, and, and you love to watch him on screen. Yeah. Now, what who you usually sometimes like to watch on screen, who in this film you definitely didn't like to watch on screen, mm-hmm. was, a, was, a, was a certain Emmy Award winning... Very talented Natalie Portman, who just portmaned herself out of this. She she didn't want to be in this movie. Oh, it was she clear. was. She was on a canoe halfway off the set yeah. for the most of the film, and you knew it. Yeah, you I think could they feel just CG'd it. half her actually into the movie. They're Probably. Like, okay, we need you for the shot. She's like, um, 
Nah. I mean... Okay, we'll just CG you. Listen, here's what I, I don't get. You're, you are doing what thousands of thousands of thousands of people around the world would kill to do. Be in a movie about an interesting uh, concept. Mm-mm. I mean, Mm-mm. and I know you make a lot of money and I know you're really famous, but no. you just didn't care. She doesn't, she doesn't care. And she I, didn't care. And to be honest, I can't even entirely blame her because no, I, I don't his her. movies were just not great. The oh. first two Thor movies were just meh. I... Uh, the motivations didn't make sense. She was like clearly given a script. She's like, I don't agree with this, but I guess I don't have a choice now. I mean, I guess she kind of got roped into it, and now she's like, I need to get the heck out of here. You know what really sucks? Oh, we're lucky though? we even got her in the second movie. I so the screen the screenplay the screenwriter so Christopher Yost is an amazing comic book writer. He's done a mm-hmm. lot of good uh, work, especially in his run of uh, the New X Men, which was put out in the in the two thousands. He was really good. I don't know what he was thinking with this. And I, I, you know, I know that the dark elves were a large part of the Thor mythos, and you know, Malekith was one of Thor's biggest adversaries. And Malekith was played by Christopher Eccleston, by the way, one I, of the former Doctor Who's. I mean, he was a former Doctor Who, but unlike Doctor Who, which was interesting, yes, this this was like a Not dead. This was like a dead bag of cats. It was uh, the I cats mean, were long it, dead. And you're like, oh, those are dead cats in a bag. And that's about that's that's where it goes. Actually, so that might be more interesting because then we were wondering how do these cats get dead? How what, they, why are they in a bag? Are they? Are I'm they just dead? like in are this movie. It's dead? more like, oh, yeah. uh, am I still watching? This? Am I still even here? I mean, listen. I don't want. This. I don't think this. You know, I, I'm saying that this movie is horrible. I don't think it was as horrible as, as let's say like Sucker Punch or Manos Hands of Fate. Right. But I it's mean, a different level of horrible. This, this was. A, it's a bland horrible, which is, if you think about yeah. it, the worst kind of horrible. Because at least a bad horrible movie yeah. is interesting in its own way. No, this movie wasn't interesting. No. There was really nothing about it. It was, it was just mediocre. Oy, I didn't, you know, Thor's companions. I didn't really care. I mean, was Lady Sif? Yeah, she was. She was. Jamie Alexander was in this. I like Lady Sif. She wasn't in the third one, but she was in here. Idris Elba's always good as Heimdall. Mm-hmm. You know, but I just I just don't care about his companions that much. No, no one does. And it's just this pageantry that kind of needs to happen. I'm and, really happy for what they did, looking back a couple years ago with you know Thor Ragnarok. Right. And I'm sure they learned a lot of lessons, but it sucks that they had to learn the lessons this way. Should we give a quick quick uh, quick plot synopsis? Of yeah, the let's movie? go. Yeah, what do we got here? So. Uh... We start the movie off actually with Jane Foster, Natalie Portman's character, uh, stumbles upon uh, one of the most powerful relics in the entire universe, which is essentially the reality stone, which we come to learn later. Yeah, but ether. it's in the form of the ether. Yeah. Ether? Ether? Ether. And she stumbles upon it, and not only stumbles upon it, but also gets absorbed into her body, which is really dangerous for mortals because they will die almost very quickly from this. Uh, Thor finds her and says, oh, you got some crap in your body. Let's go ahead and get that out of you. I'll bring it to the doctors we got in Asgard. Seems a little bit odd, too, since Asgardian doctors are mostly working in magic science, science magic. Anyway, they isolate what it is, and they like say, we got to get this out of you, but you're probably not going to live. The Dark Elves come along and they're saying, we want that crap, we want to get it out of her, so we're going to kill her for it. Although she still doesn't die, and then they have to use the stuff to destroy or... Was it destroy the universe? Was it to no, make the universe wanna, darker? They want to they they dark meld. Elves? They want to bring their universe to our universe. They want to make it dark. They want to darken, right. darken it up. Just like a little bit of shade. Yeah, just just Always throwing shade at the universe, these Dark Elves. Uh, again, un- very uninspired characters too. No. Honestly, I know Christopher Eccleston. I've seen him and his work before. He 
seemed to be in so much makeup I could barely recognize the guy. Yeah. And he gave such a bland performance, which was, I think, just simply what the Dark Elves were. They were bland. Yeah, no, they were uh, It kind of just was very uninspired. Now, uh, then the movie, what happened? Uh, they didn't die? There was there no more darkness across the universe as the convergence converged? I have no idea. And, uh, and I think Thor and, uh, and Jane got back together at the end of the movie. I guess they were happy about that. Some people died. Some people were thought to have died. So one of the things, though, speaking of Loki, apparently some <laughs> trivia out there was that Loki was originally not even going to appear in this at all. And there was going to be a oh, much, wow. much larger focus on Malekith and the Dark Elves. But because of how well he did in Avengers... He was received quite well with them. The whole script was rewritten to include him as a main character. Wow. I, probably the only smart decision they made yeah. for the movie. But if you think about it, yeah, there was no reason for Loki to have been in this movie based on what the plot was. Yeah. But then again, that plot was terrible. So they should move on for that, which is what I think we should do as well right now. I'm done. Uh, you want to yeah. give the candy rating? I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this film. It was, it, was like, it was like a cutscene from a video game... That that you don't really care to see. It was, a, it just, it was not only a bad cutscene, but it was also a bad video game. There's no one information really that you ones. need. There's there's not going to give you any backstory. You just press the next button as quick as possible. But this movie did have an Infinity Stone in it, so it did technically put yes, the pl- push the plot yes, of the entire did. universe forward at the very Infinity least. Infinity Stone. I'm just saying. All right. So I okay. went first last time. What's your rating for this guy? Uh, I went first last time, by the way, oh, but did? I'll give it my oh, rating. Dang it. I'm- <laughs> See, that movie sucks so bad, it gives me confusions about time and space. I, I will give this uh, I will give this a a grape-flavored and a key lime-flavored Tootsie Roll. Because <laughs> you're thinking, oh, how did they make these? Yeah. I never knew these existed. Mm-hmm. I don't really want them to exist. Yeah. But I guess I don't have a choice but to chew on this right now. You know, I'm I'm gonna go even worse than this. You know what I'm gonna Those go? Are only with? two tootsie rolls for me, by the way. Two. Only two tootsie rolls. I'm gonna go with uh, a rolled up, a single rolled up Smarties. Uh huh. But if someone took out all the colored Smarties and just put in the white ones. Oh, the chalky ones. The chalk ones. Extra chalk. Extra chalk. So it's just chalk rolled up, uh-huh. and and then they left that on the dashboard of their car. On a ninety degree day, and, and it got kind of it just melted powdered. chalk. It's powder. like powdered chalk, <laughs> and that's, that's all you have to eat for like the next seven hours as you're driving through the desert. That's that's what I'm giving oh, this wow. one. Oh wow, that's rough. It's very rough. So that's, a, that's about fair. Moving moving on from rough. Let's go to the next one. In a, year, a year later, we get one of my favorite. I think it was like six months later, actually, wasn't it? I think it was about six oh, months later. Yeah, this was. Yeah, uh, this was put out in 2014, launched at, let's see when this was. April. Was it April? I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was April. So, one of my favorite action films, period. And I mean that honestly. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite action, my favorite superhero movie of all time, my favorite action movie of probably the past decade, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier. I love this movie. Yes. And I've probably said this before on the show. So, directed by Anthony uh, and Joe Russo. Oh, yeah. Russo, the Russo brothers. brothers. They were the ones who did Community and Arrested Development. Yes, they did. They directed some episodes of those. That's why this was good. Yes. And it was just, I really felt that they did such a good job mm-hmm. with some of the characters who were not given enough screen time mm-hmm. or development, like uh, Scarlett Johansson playing Natasha Romanoff. Black Widow. She was a huge part of this. Oh, yeah. And, I, they, they did expand yeah. on her character a lot. 
Um, and also, it's interesting, too, because you think Anthony and Joe Russo directed a bunch of comedy shows like Community, like Arrested Development, which were great shows in their, in their, of, them, uh, of their own. But why, how did they make the jump to action movies, right? Like, how, why would they think they'd be great for that? Yet they were. They were oh my fantastic. God. This was so dang good. They were so good at this. So good. Uh, and the opening scene, by the way, of, well, not just him meeting Falcon, which is also great in its own right. And, yeah. You know, the DC landscape. They got some good shots there. Mm-hmm. But the opening scene of the attack on the uh, on the, the sea vessel, on the tanker, what would you call that? On yeah, it was like a, it was, yeah, it was like the spy ship. Yeah, the spy ship. Yeah. But like... That scene alone was so well choreographed, and it just yeah. shows you how great a fighter and a character Captain America just, really is. Just jumps, jump, he, I don't need a, he doesn't need a parachute. What parachute? What parachute? Just oh, God. Parachute. It just, and, like, even, like, some of the subtle things. Like, listen, you know, me and Justin live in the D.C. metro area, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to see just someone running around a very familiar path yeah which is um down near the lincoln memorial and around near the jefferson memorial um and it's and it's so cool to see because it's something that you'll see often but you don't think about like Mm -hmm. the fantastic and when you introduce captain america running and doing loops captain america captain america think about that for a second i know running doing loops past road past um sam wilson yeah and how like how funny, but but it's not stupid funny. It's like it's humorous in the for the fact that you have this person who shouldn't exist. You know, a super soldier shouldn't a man exist. Man out of time. Man out of time. But <laughs> but but a, but, a, but someone who literally should not exist, but he is existing and he's trying to do what he can with his time. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, and I love the fact that that Steve Rogers has a moral stand. In everything, and this whole film is about the danger of losing one's morality to achieve security. Yeah, it it actually had a really good uh, point about that in terms of you know privacy versus security. You know, those who would uh, give up some essential freedoms for some temporary safety deserve neither. As uh, I think, what was that the Benjamin Franklin quote went? Mm. And it's just really interesting because they talk about how you know they're they're making a, a compiled list of people. Based on their attitudes. And this is where we find out the amazing twist in the movie. And this is what really changed the whole universe, by the way, after this. This is why this movie was very, um, very important for the whole Marvel universe as a whole. Is that we find out Hydra never died back in the 40s after World War II. That they've been actually building up secretly within all of S.H.I.E.L.D. So pretty much the entire organization that is responsible for protecting the lives of millions of people across the world not just america but the world has been infiltrated by the most evil organization in the history of the world and the whole thing has been compromised how do you how do you know who's good and who's bad anymore it's a good question and there were and there were obviously lasting implications after this movie when we find out we don't know who's good and who's bad hydra obviously was continually throughout the marvel universe well into the next couple of films which is just such a mind well, thing. it's it's. I think it, I think Anthony and Joe Russo were responding to the times. Yes, you know the United States was in the midst of the war on terror. Still is. Still is to this day, and there is a lot of questions on on what is being done 
in order to try and quote keep people safe. Tons and of questions. You saw, you know, the Still don't pa- know what to do. the Patriot Act put into place. Not great. Where our personal information can be used against us. Should, All over the net. Should the government consider us a threat? Yeah. No, um, I don't. Don't sit We're not a threat. Well, unless we are a threat. Well, there are plenty of people <laughs> we, who are so threats. You see, my friend, we, we don't actually get to choose that. No, we don't. Someone above us does. And I think that this film points out, you know, what, you know, those questions. You know, is, you know, do we want to be able to shoot first and ask questions later? Or should there still be some semblance of of trial, of, of, of creating evidence, of, of questioning? Well, we can't just assume that someone's bad. Because we think that they're bad, or because they look that they're bad, so I think. Or they wrote a Facebook post that was bad. Yeah, or they I find, wrote a Facebook post I find that was the, bad. The interesting thing in this movie is that when they, uh, when Agent Sitwell, who we find out is also spoilers, guys, part of uh, Hydra, uh, he tells us about how they were creating uh, essentially a database of judging people for everything they've done. He's like, based on what? And he goes, everything, voting records and uh, and information they share with people and, and what they believe in. And all these things. What I'm thinking of is, oh, you mean the pe- stuff people put on Facebook? No, yeah, no, <laughs> it's true. I'm surprised they didn't call off Facebook, but it's probably best that they didn't. You know, you don't want to get in too much serious. But it was, but here. it was nefarious. It was Hydra. It was essentially saying that <laughs> using the information, finding good people. I mean, mm-hmm. they were going to take out Stephen Strange. They were going to take out all these people, and that's what uh, Scarlett Johansson's character and uh, you know and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chris Evans character do find out yes. is that it's all this big plot twist and spin which I love by the way I thought and it was really great and I thought yeah. that when Captain America had to go on the run mm-hmm. and when he met with Robert Redford's character oh, yeah. uh, Alexander, Alexander Pierce, Pierce he did yeah. a great job with that it was such a showcase of what it truly means to be someone who is a champion for freedom yeah and for the American ideal that people back in the 40s, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 50s, that they really understood, which is that freedom, equality, liberty for all people is unanimous. And Steve Rogers represents that. And so when Steve Rogers stood up to this person who was saying, are you with us or against us? Kind mm-hmm. of. Are you, are you going to give us the secret? Are you going to, you know, betray your mentor, you know, uh, yeah. for us? You know, Steve Rogers is, you know, the last words I, I heard him speak were, don't trust anyone. Right. You know, and, and it's so amazing. And, and for comic book readers out there, the scene in which Steve Rogers jumps through the glass elevator and plummets down through mm-hmm. the ceiling was actually a huge part of the Civil War story arc. Oh, yeah. Where S.H.I.E.L.D. was corrupted and, and Captain America was actually the enemy of the state. So there are so many parts of this film that the Russo brothers pulled from canon that pleased not only the audience, but really represented a great visual. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is probably one of the only sequels to the original run with Captain America, the first Avenger, that went just just doubled up mm-hmm. on how good quality and, uh, you know, just the event effect that we got it was just it was a really great movie it was a better movie overall mm-hmm. it had a better plot it had a better script better dialogue great action great, great storyline the colors great were philosophy oh it was just I love this movie so yeah. who in this film who do you think really shined as an actor honestly I still can't get over how good Chris Evans is as Captain America himself because he he just is inspiring not just the way they write him but the way he portrays the character he interestingly 
Captain America always in the comics and I think in the TV shows where he's portrayed always had this ideal of old timey. You know, like, oh, I'm from the 40s. I'm going to talk in 40s vernacular. Chris Evans doesn't have that. For the better, I think. He he talks as though he's he just... He has these ideals of the 40s, maybe, and he, uh, the good stuff that came from that time period. But overall, he can adapt to the scenario that he's in, which I think is important for the character of what Captain America is. He is an adaptable soldier. He adapts to... The times, he adapts to the situations, he adapts to the fight, he adapts to the need and the moral quandaries that he is put into. It's a moral <laughs> thing. And I yeah. think it's it's so refreshing and so good for especially young people to see a moral character, a moral hero, who isn't just how strong they are, how much they can punch someone in the face, but it's the fact that they're willing to put their neck on the line to stand up for what's right. Exactly. And one thing I loved is the transformation of Natasha Romanoff. Now, you oh, yeah. saw in the start of the film that she was still surreptitiously working undercover at the at the cost of her fellow soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, when she was on the Meridian Star, she went, stole data while she was supposed to be protecting and securing another place on the ship, potentially endangering the lives of her of her colleagues. And, and Captain America called her out on it. You go from that to later in the film, she and Cap team up and go together to, to fight and solve this problem. And you see this dichotomy, this tonal shift in uh, Natasha Romanoff's character where she's then opening up to Cap, mm-hmm. talking to Cap, interacting with Cap. They even yeah. kiss in the film. I mean, it was out of necessity. I, I, don't know. I actually felt they had some good chemistry in this. They did. But... I really enjoyed it. I thought, I th- like, I know that they end up, you know, going down the road with the whole Hulk, yeah, ScarJo thing, which I which think is ridiculous. Felt a forced. We'll ridiculous. Later. I love Chris Evans and um, and uh, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson yeah. together. I think they were great, and I really think that their their play off each other made this film. Yeah. Let's talk about another character, by the way. Yeah who actually got a lot more screen time finally in this entire universe, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, yeah. Playing Nick Fury. He was huge. One of the best scenes, not just in this movie, but I think in the overall arching 20-plus movies there I have now, uh, was Nick Fury fighting off the quote-unquote police officers in D.C. as they're trying to literally kill him in his car. And... This just shows what a great character and great superhero in his own right Nick Fury is by defending his life against these, you know, supposed police officers who are clearly clearly actually just Hydra agents, you know, in in police carb. uh, And showing you how he gets away and saves his life and kills these guys before they kill him. Now, of course, he did succumb to the Winter Soldier himself. Well, that seemed like a little bit of a cheap shot. But... Uh, really great action scene, really great chase scene. And I love chase scenes that kind of subvert the entire idea of a chase scene in the sense that the chase scene was in a a DC traffic jam, which if anyone who's from DC knows, pretty gnarly. There's not great, great traffic. Now they did actually, terrible traffic. They had to block off parts of the Arlington area to shoot this scene. I remember when I was working at the time at a local business near there and uh, they had to block off some roads. And I said, oh, for what? Oh, they're shooting the new Captain America movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then when we saw it in theaters, they're like, holy crap. Oh. I know that street. <laughs> um, which was really kind of delightful. But no, I, I really think, <laughs> I, I do agree. I think that Samuel L. Jackson played a great part. And I love, yeah. for my, my favorite part for him in this film, mm-hmm. is when he 
sneaks into Captain America's apartment. Yeah. And he's in the dark. He's playing the record. Yeah. You know, and Steve comes in and he's sitting there and he's he knows they're being listened to. And yeah. he's like, you know, you know, my wife kicked me out. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you had a wife. Well, there's a lot of things you don't know. Yeah. And it was just this like interesting, unique play. It was very warm. It was very human. Yeah. Which I felt, I felt this film was very human. Mm-hmm. And looking, looking at <clears throat> Iron Man 3 and looking at Thor Dark World, you're talking about completely different tonal films, completely different mm-hmm. stylistic and filmmaking prowess when you look at Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. It's in a whole other world. And I think they learned a lot from this. And you can see, going into the next number of films, that because of how well-received this film was, they borrowed a lot from its success and learned a lot, too. And I think what they learned is you got to make the story both fantastic, but human as well. Yeah. So, I mean, this is clearly one of my favorite—no, no. Let me rephrase that. This is my favorite MCU movie— by far, this okay. uh, this movie had everything going for it. It just was so well put together and so well create crafted. Uh, the characters are great. The plot was great. Uh, the storyline was wonderful. It had it had a, a winning ending, but it didn't necessarily have a happy ending in the sense that this drastically changed the entire universe uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, fallout from what happened here. They took they took down Shield. And that's what the kind of movie I like. If yeah. you think about it, one of my favorite films of one. No, again, my my favorite film of all time is The Empire Strikes Back, and that didn't have necessarily a happy ending. It didn't really even have an ending. Mm-hmm. The movie really just kind of was uh was a cliffhanger ending, and that we had to go into the next movie to find out what happened. But the movie itself was so well done, just like Empire Strikes Back, that you just have a great time with it. No, I I really agree with, it. and I and I like the fact that they had to sacrifice what they built so hard to achieve with S.H.I.E.L.D. for the greater good. They had to realize that something is wrong, something is sinister. And sometimes you have to tear down a system that you care about in order for there to be healing mm-hmm. and, and for there to be a, a way to move forward. Which, again, yeah. is not something a lot of people want I think want that was an Alexander Pierce line. Yeah. There are the people who don't, were afraid to tear down the world to build something better. And it also gets you thinking, too, because you know he's the bad guy. You know he wants to kill millions upon millions of people, but he wants to do it in the sake of making a quote-unquote better world. And you start to ask yourself, wow, what if I'm starting to associate with the bad guys? Well, what if what if they're, what they're trying to do is for the greater good? You know, it's that, it's that end justifies the means scenario, and then you realize, no, that's immoral. I mean, you look, at, right. you look at now in 2018, we're dealing with issues of morality, where we're becoming more isolated as a country mm-hmm. because of this fear of the quote-unquote other around us. Mm-hmm. And if you look back, that's why I love this film. Yeah, You can watch this film over and over at any decade, at any time, and it and it gives you something to think about. Oh, yeah. And it's, again, a very good... I, I literally, I think I watch this film almost every other month. Mm-hmm. I really love this film. If I'm that's, if that's a, a lot, actually. But I will, this is that, true. That's good. That's this is good. true. If there's ever a day where I'm feeling like down or I just want to relax and, and watch something, I'll put this on. Captain America. I love it. I got the freaking shield. I got the shield from this movie, the studio replica shield from Winter Soldier, and it's hanging in my house. You're a huge nerd. I'm a huge <laughs> nerd. But again, I listen. I, I, I've been reading and, and, and being interested in Marvel and, and their uh, We know you're a huge I, I know, okay? But I love, again, love this film. So candy rating. What 
would you give? I know we didn't talk about Sebastian Stan too much. Oh, I was going to mention one thing then about that. Yeah, he was that great. The, the, he was great in the movie as Winter Soldier. Clearly a distressed person. Everything done against his will. It's very clever how that works. But honestly, the very end of the movie where he is fighting Captain America almost to the death and Captain America refuses to fight back because he knows he's in there somewhere. He's like, I know you're there. I know you're there. Oh, so powerful. I, I love that. And just, I love that Captain America's resolve is so, he was willing to die just to get his friend back. Well, I even like, mm. I mean, there are so many elements that even Falcon was up mm-hmm. against gunships. Yeah. He had, he had basically a couple of Uzis on him. But he did it for Captain America. But he, he did it because he knew he was doing the right thing. Yeah. In the face of utter annihilation. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, again, great film. Um, if All I right. would give this, and again, I'd really, and I know we didn't talk about Let's Bucky. Let's do a candy again. Bucky was great. The reveal was yeah. great. Oh my gosh, it's Bucky when his mask comes off. Mm-hmm. It's just the whole fight, that fight scene. Oh, that fight scene was so oh, good. Oh God, that fight scene was the so damn good. That knife so fight scene where it goes through the truck yeah. and just, and then Natasha jumps up and zaps the guy yeah. and has to run away. The music, All right, we'll, the we'll soundtrack. We'll track. All right. Let's, oh, let's, what's movie. your rating? What's your, right. You got to tell us your rating. My my rating my rating for this would be a uh, God ooh a peanut butter Twix bar. Peanut butter Twix. That's a like peanut... saying hey, there's a great candy bar called the Twix. Yeah. No, peanut butter. Too. Exactly. There's better. a great candy bar called the Twix. We're gonna make it even better and better for you with a little protein. Oh. Okay. So like it's it. it's something to feed your mind, feed your feed your sweet tooth, but also get you thinking mm-hmm. about what candy. Can really be nice. I between two. I think I'm gonna give this one of my favorite of all time candies because this is one of my favorite of all time movies, especially in the MCU. I'm gonna give this Raisinets uh, three big, big bags. Yeah. Like the you know like the like the not the movie theater style, but like the whole like the the like the I'm full gonna, size I, like yeah. the the shareable sack of Raisinets. Three of them. Justin, that's how much I love it. I want to change mine. Oh, you're going to change? Wait, let me perfect. finish mine. I'm going with yours. So the, I'm gonna, the reason I'm giving you Raisinets is because Raisinets, one, they're delicious. Two, they are good for you. you got some raisins in there. That, that's healthy for you. That's good. And you don't realize you're eating healthy because they're covered in chocolate and they're delicious. Three massive bags of Raisinets. That's I, what I give I it. concur. Raisinets forever. Hurrah and huzzah. I agree with you. All okay. Right. So we love Winter Soldier, it's and great. we're moving on to another movie that was so good. Yes. 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy Yes. Won. Oh. They followed up one oh, great so movie good. with another great movie. I love this. James Gunn, um, he did such a good job with this. Now, how much did, I mean, did is this James Gunn's first Marvel uh, film? Yeah, this is his first Marvel film. His first Marvel film. Before he was fired. Before, yeah, I know, before <laughs> he was fired. Now, I know, yes, he's, he's done some bad stuff. And we're not going to go into that. And obviously, we won't get too political. Doing but... bad things to people and against their will and wishes and being manipulative is horrible. Shame on him. Um, from a film production perspective, just trying to look at what he's done. Aside from, I mean, he did mo- movie forty three. I, di- I didn't really remember that. Oh, he did that. Ugh. Yeah, I, d- I don't remember movie. That was not a great movie. It Let's wasn't... not talk about that movie. Okay, that I didn't. Dumb. I didn't see super. What I mean, aside Super from that, Super was supposedly very good. I think his first though one, uh, first one though was Slither. Slither. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Slither, two thousand six. Slither was his big kind of breakout movie. And what that was, was Slither uh, about? It was a it was a kind of a campy horror film. Okay. Um, and he was able to uh, kind of break some stereotypes, I believe, and some uh, or 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 over 
overuse some stereotypes too potentially yeah. on what the horror genre was about. But it was just a fun, exciting movie uh, that kind of kind of made him as a breakout director at the huh. time. Uh, of course, with Guardians though that put him uh, in a whole other realm. Mm-hmm. And Guardians of the Galaxy, based on the more obscure comic of the same name, uh, a lot of people didn't know how this movie was going to do. No, they did not. And a lot of people didn't know anything about the Guardians. In I only knew the Guardians of when they popped into other Marvel comics. Right. Because it was such it's such a niche story time yeah, because the, it's just this cosmic the galactic side of, of the Marvel punk. universe right yeah it's not it's not very well known and it wasn't well known before this film for sure for sure but uh this film uh, of course adding chris pratt yeah starring the uh lead guardian uh star lord aka or peter, peter quill peter aka star lord Star Lord. Yeah, Zoe Zeldana as Gamora. Zoe Saldana. Saldana as Gamora. That was Gamora great. Dave and... Batista as Drax. Oh, what a great oh, casting choice in this. That was so smart. Um, this is definitely the time, too, where we're starting to see more... Well, I guess we've been seeing it for a while, but more uh, wrestlers, and this time, actually, in Dave Batista's case, a UFC fighter who made the jump into acting. Yeah. But Dave Batista is clearly one of the few who actually is a great actor... And who happened to be a UFC fighter, whereas most of the time I think it's the other way around. They happen to be great UFC fighters and also maybe just do some acting. I don't he was th- good at both. I don't think people even thought he would be that funny. He was hilarious yeah. as Drax. People loved, people like, there are two characters I think out of the run that everyone loves just hands down. It's going to be Drax, Groot, and Rocket. Well, you just said two characters. You well, I know. Well, I really, I think that Rocket and Groot are really a pair. They kind of are. They kind of are. So let's let's talk about Groot. Yeah. So Groot was voiced by Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, which was perfect for Vin Diesel because if you give Vin Diesel any more than three words at a time, uh, he doesn't do great with it. I'm personally, I just gonna say that. Um, so I think it was the perfect role for him. Um, I mean, he definitely said, I am Groot in very, very different and distinct he did. ways. He was, he really showed a lot I of expression and, and mannerism with the I am Groot and how he was able I to portray Groot. that. But uh, Vin Diesel, of course, did Groot while Bradley Cooper, Brad Cooper. did Rocket. You know, listen, I actually have a lot of respect for Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. Now, even more so because of his directorial debut, which I haven't seen, but I've heard it's pretty good. Um, awesome. But I loved him as Rocket, mm-hmm. and he added such a uniqueness to a character that is very hard to do. He's a talking raccoon. Yeah. How, how do you make a talking raccoon interesting? I guess you have Bradley Cooper. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me a talking raccoon is not inherently interesting? I mean, an inherently interesting. If someone gave you a talking but, raccoon right now, yeah, wouldn't you be interested? I mean, it depends on how he talked. Really? Yeah. I mean, if, if a talking raccoon like, came up to you and had an accent, like a Brooklyn accent, let's say, you wouldn't, be, you would, that would be less interesting. That'd be kind of cool. No, but I mean, I mean if you had like, a, a really nasally high voice and it's just like, like oh, you're talking about. like more of an Alvin and the Chipmunks exactly kind of voice. Yeah, I mean, that it, might be annoying because I mean, if your raccoon is actually talking, their vocal cords. I'd still find would be it again small. if it was a real raccoon though and it really talked. I'd still find that interesting by itself. If it was a real raccoon who really talked again. Because of a raccoon's size, a voice box would inhibit a, a sound that would be more like a screech. I think than you're thinking a, voice. a little bit too hard about this. I know right he now. wouldn't have a rough Bradley Cooper. I know. Anyways, I loved it. So that was great. Um, who else? Who else was a main part of this? We had we had uh, Lee Pace yeah, was the main Ronan, villain the in accuser. the form of 
Ronan. Ronan. The yep, accuser. Ronan the Accuser. Uh, we have Yandu Udanta, played by oh, yes. Michael Roker. Yeah, Michael Roker. He's great. Roker. Roker or, Got it. I think it's Roker. Um, um, Nebula as Nebula. Karen Gillian, played Karen, Nebula. Yeah. She so, was great. I think they're, all of these characters were so unknown from you know just at least in pop culture that this movie really allowed these actors to crystallize who these people were yes and it worked so well indeed um i mean it was just a great overall ensemble cast uh the entire idea that the, it was less of an origin story but more of a team origin where they kind of all came together kind of like the first avengers yeah and then they overcome their differences to kind of become a team um, but the movie flowed, and of course, one of the main components of this film was the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I would cite the soundtrack. It wasn't as unique as, say, a Tarantino soundtrack. If you were listening to a Quentin Tarantino movie, his soundtrack is a lot more esoteric style music I know, but that, wasn't that maybe is a little less well-known. These songs were a little bit more well-known, but... What a great selection. It just really brought it all together. And it worked and it made sense from a story perspective. Oh, yes. And I loved, I mean, I love the fact that this awesome kid. Awesome volume one. Oh, my God. He was abducted as a child with a uh, a Walkman. And that Walkman had a finite amount of music. Yeah. And this kid was stuck playing the same songs over and over and over again. That they basically, there was no difference between the song and him. Yeah. Like, those songs were a part of they him. They were him. And I thought it was awesome. Like, the the whole start of the film where he's in that cave, and he just puts his headphones on. I'm like, what are they doing? And he just clicks on, and it's just freaking, you know, I mean, yeah. it's... Great opening. Oh, my gosh. There was... I don't know who thought of that, if that was James Gunn. That was Gunn, definitely or James Gunn. You think that was Gunn? A hundred percent. I could tell. That was his vision. You could tell from the way it was it was executed. Brilliant. So I just, really great. kudos to James Gunn in every possible way for doing this because yeah. it just you you when would you ever get an opportunity to do something like that? It was almost like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off a little bit. nuance, but for this genre. I think uh, with this movie, I mean, it, in terms of the overall kind of scope in, in in the Marvel universe, it did a great job with how it portrayed the characters, how it kind of introduced us to the cosmic side of the Marvel Universe. What's really interesting is we're never really on Earth for more than the first ten or five minutes of the movie, really, the opening scene. And the movie takes place entirely in a different galaxy, yet it has the same feel as the rest of the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. I I applaud them for keeping the quality consistent in the sense that we kind of have... I feel like all these movies do connect and we do have a, a similar style and attitude, even with completely different characters, even in completely different sections of the universe itself yeah it's, it still works i like actually really enjoyed it because for me i mean you always see movies about space and aliens as kind of this scary unknown mm-hmm. you know these are all weird but no guardians of the galaxy made space this cosmopolitan it, very modern yeah. uh dichotomy it was had, a space opera it, it was, was a, like a star wars space opera and but, a little bit funnier a little bit kitschier a I mean, little if, bit if the Catching. universe is really like this, bring it on. I want to see aliens. Right. I want to see talking raccoons. I, mean, I don't care what their voice yeah. sounds like. Although, if it does sound like Bradley Cooper, I'll be more inclined to listen to it. I know. But, I mean, like, even if you go to, like, um, whatever the Nova Corps prime base was. Xandar. Xandar. That planet seemed cool. It did seem like a you very know, cool planet. It was planet. like a cool planet. Like, so, it's like, I love the fact that Guardians made sci-fi cool. Oh, yeah. 
it was, was cool like stuff. it's not geeky it's not nerdy it's not like this weird cold blue and gray alien world no it was like a cosmopolitan new york city but a little bit more funky i, so I loved it a little it. more fun with it is what it's all oh, about it was that's all the funky. secret have more fun with it. this movie was all f- this movie was like 98 percent fun oh yeah and like two percent serious story oh yeah which worked but it, it was it, it made sense for the movie, and it did push the plot point along for the rest of the movies because a major element, a major MacGuffin was introduced into this film. The Power Stone, one of the other mm-hmm. one of the six other Infinity Stones, uh, was obviously a major component of pushing the story forward. Now, what I'm surprised with is that again, again, this is just the this is the problem I have with with modern cinema. Mm-hmm. This film, so the budget for this film and the budget for Iron Man 3 were roughly the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was about 170 million, yeah. the budget for this film. The cumulative worldwide gross was only about a 774 million. Only? Only. Because I mean, it wasn't Iron, Iron Man, Man 3. 3 budget. Iron Man I mean, 3, Iron Man 3 income. I mean, Iron Man 3, it made like a billion dollars, but it was a much worse film. Right. And, and, and I mean, that's the thing. It's not always going to be... Uh, I mean, the budget on Iron Man 3 was only like, what, 30, uh, 30 million more? Yeah, a little and bit. And it made $1.2 Well, it had Robert Downey Jr. Ugh. And I think it did have a better market hold in China. And Whatever. it was coming right off the success of the Avengers. You, but no you... one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. No one knew what it was going to be like. You know, this is these aren't characters we've we've grown up with and seen. These are these are new characters for most people. They've never even seen or heard of what the heck the Guardians of the Galaxy are. But not Iron Man. But you would say from a lasting cultural impression that Guardians of the Galaxy One has had much more of a cultural impression than Iron Man Three. Absolutely. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, by far. But that was after the fact, and you know the movie's only in theaters for so many months, mm. if that. I think so. I would like to see. Like monetarily, how Guardians One is done, post facto, yeah, over other films in the series. I, I gotta say, from a from a from a just an engine of cultural experience, mm-hmm. for me, Captain America Civil uh, Captain America Winter Soldier was an amazing story. Guardians of the Galaxy was a marketing masterstroke. Yeah, this changed. In my opinion, everything. I think we have to give it credit for the fact that they did take an obscure property and still make a massive blockbuster hit out of it. Not only financially, which it was, yeah. but also critically. Which oh, was critically. The- everyone lo- And I just, I was blown away when I saw this in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I, I took my wife. My wife is not someone who really likes comic book films. And that's you know nothing against her. She just doesn't like that genre. But she loved this movie. She was cracking up. You know your wife listens to this podcast, right? Does she? Uh, probably, and she's gonna hear that. So honey, honey, please don't kill me. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, I just I really enjoyed it. Did was there anything about this that you didn't enjoy? Uh, there were probably a couple of parts that I felt were just a little bit odd. I mean, the whole thing with Thanos being in this film, uh, they kind of just threw him in there and like, oh hey, remember him? We kind of teased him at the end of that first Avengers movie. Oh, uh, here he is. He's kind of here. He's kind of pushing this whole thing along. He's trying to get those Infinity yeah. Stones. Uh, so here he is. I know, but then, then Chris, then then Chris Pratt does a moonwalk dance with Ronan, and then you forget everything. You forgive all sins. Exactly. So I mean, this movie was my second favorite in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, right behind previous one, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Um, Just in terms of how well it was done and how enjoyable it was, Uh, and my wife obviously loves 
Groot mm-hmm. more than you can probably even imagine. She loves Groot. People love Groot. Why? Listen. Why? Just from from a from from like someone who is already in Marvel to just I know all these characters. I love them all equally. Mm-hmm. Why do people love Groot so much? Because okay, let me tell you why they love Groot. Okay, Groot is a lovable character. He's kind of like the the lovable lug you know he's the muscle he's not the thinker he's just the doer um he doesn't talk a lot he's a man he's a tree of few words and he gets the job done he's also just funny like when they're going through the plan in the in the prison to try to escape and he just does it and they're like oh well we guess we gotta hurry up and do this he's like look at me i did a thing that's what groot is groot's the adorable one and the thing is when groot of course did the noble sacrifice at the end of the movie and then he comes back as baby Groot, who, by the way, is Groot's son. That's canon. That was according to James Gunn. He said it's his son. It's not Groot reincarnated. Baby Groot is possibly one of the cutest things in existence. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. And the way he dances, yeah. can't let Groot, can't yeah. let uh, Drax see that dance. That's a thing. <laughs> so just, oh, there's so many parts. Just the the play between Drax and just. I don't know. Whoever got Dave... They know how adorable he is. That's all I'm saying. He's literally holding up... They played that up in the second movie. My friend Justin is here just in my face holding a baby Groot doll, a plushie. It's a plush action You can't. You can't hate it. You can't. Even though it's like, God, why? It's just... It's baby (laughs) Groot. It's baby Groot. It's baby Groot. But I... Just every single... Every single part of this, I just... I really am so... I got... I got the vinyl, the deluxe vinyl. Oh, wow. Guardians of the Galaxy 1... In a glass case on my wall. To go with your Captain America shield. That's correct. Because I think that... <laughs> I, I really think that Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Guardians 1 were, in my opinion, the apex of the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't know how it's ever going to get any better than that. And I, I don't think it has since. And I, you know, it's kind of... For me, that's sad. Yeah. It's almost like this is the crescendo. We see these two films come out in 2014. And they blow everyone away... How can they ever be topped? Well, let's give it a rating. Okay. I would personally give this movie something kind of like exciting, something interesting, um, something something sweet, yet something kind of sour. I think I would have to go with Watermelon Sour Patch Kids. Ah. Because. Bastard. It's, it's really good. You took my. You love it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I think you give it two if you want. You took my freaking yeah, candy I, this, rating. This is a watermelon sour patch kid All kind right. of movie. I'm going see, I was gonna go with because it's funny, mm-hmm. it's plucky, it's sweet, and you can bite its head off and still feel okay. Go with sour patch kids. Just but just standard. classic. Classic sour patch classic, kids. Classic no classic with the blue ones added. The blue ones. Just Ooh. just for a little bit of a, of a zen. I mm-hmm. love sour patch kids. I was actually horrible as a, as a kid. Someone uh, We had an old classic movie theater, and someone told me if you lick a Sour Patch Kid and you chuck it at a movie theater screen, the old projector screens, they would spark. Yeah, it, it did I work. I hope that's not true. No, it is true. It is? It's horrible. I was a horrible hellion as a child. I'm so sorry out stop, there. Stop ruining those It's screens. okay. That theater they're, doesn't they're even cheap. exist. They, they tore it down. Okay. It was too bad. It was a cool thing. Because oh, of you. Um, all right. So, Don't ever... Kids film. out there, do not throw things at the theater those are very expensive screens you'll get um, in trouble but sour patch kids are great and they really go good with about everything um not a glass of milk though no you said everything no 
I think we should move on. Justin, why? <laughs> oh, do not even think about that pairing. It wouldn't work. Well, be careful with what you say, man. And be careful what you wish for. And if you're going to wish for us reviewing another one, we're going to go into the second Avengers foray. Avengers Age of Ultron. So Age of Ultron came out in 2015. Um, which was a number of years after the original Avengers came out. Three years, I believe, to be precise. Um, And it kind of, I don't know, it it did, it was just Joss Whedon, um, I believe. He returned, yeah, for for the directing of the sequel. And we got a lot of the same cast of characters and all that. I'm not going to list them all again. You know the people, they're all back. Who was new, though? Can can you tell us who was new? Who was new this time? We did have uh, Elizabeth Olsen, one of the Olsen twins sisters that makes sense uh not mary kate or ashley but elizabeth uh who is the only one who's taken seriously as an actress uh was new for this movie playing essentially uh wanda maximoff aka the scarlet witch Mm -hmm. along with her brother uh not in real life but in the movie pietro maximoff uh the not the but just quicksilver uh played by aaron taylor johnson correct and he was did aaron taylor johnson was he uh Kick-Ass? He was Kick-Ass. Yes. He was Kick-Ass. We can correct. say Kick-Ass. It's we, not we can say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's part of the movie it. title name. Um, we um, also get Paul Bettany in the flesh. Finally. Finally. He was Apparently he was convinced to uh, do the movie and be a character in it. Really? Yeah, because I don't think he initially... From what I heard, he initially didn't even... Um, watch the movies that he did the voice of Jarvis for like he did he didn't even see these things I'm glad they did that yeah I think it made sense uh from a character standpoint from a uh from a from a plot standpoint it made sense that they would have him become the vision become one of the characters in the movie both because of his voice and how they kind of tied that together but also because uh hey we got Paul Bettany to be in the movie so that's cool so we had the vision in this, and we had the vision in this because our main bad guy was Ultron. Ultron, played so, by James Spader. James Spader. So just for a little bit of a story background out there, what's the why is Ultron so important in the Marvel uh, universe? So Ultron was actually initially created by Hank Pym, uh, a.k.a. the original Ant-Man. Um, and he was created as a peacekeeping program slash robot. Uh, to do his bidding and take care of things, take out the garbage, do the laundry, but also, you know, protect the world from evildoers and, and kind of act as a helper to the Avengers. Unfortunately, Hank Pym was a little too good with his programming and made him an artificial intelligence that he would then take his programming too far. And the only way he could do that was, of course, he deciphered, and this is the way that always works in all the artificial intelligence movies, isn't mm-hmm. it? The only way to save the world from uh, for humans is to save them from humans, and then mm-hmm. he has to kill all the humans. Yep. Kill all humans, as the robots say. <laughs> it was a jolly good time. Yes. Anyway, uh, this movie was similar, but they had to change the origin. Yes, The they reason did. they did that was because there was no Hank Pym yet, no. so to speak. Uh, Hank Pym wasn't introduced till the movie after this one, Ant-Man, which we'll be talking about in just a minute. Uh, so they had to say, hey, we're going to make this, uh, from a story standpoint, created by Robert Downey Jr.'s Robert Downey. Uh, Tony Stark. Yeah. So Tony Stark essentially is feels guilty for you know not doing enough to protect the world. So he wants to build, quote unquote, a suit of armor around it, the world that is, uh, to protect the world itself. Since he can only wear the Iron Man suit, he wants to protect the world in a different way. His way to do that is saying, hey, he can create his peacekeeping 
protocol AI called Ultron, the Ultron Initiative, uh, that'll keep the world safe. Unfortunately, he uses the stone from Loki's scepter from the first Avengers, which they recovered from the Hydra base. Again, so many implications here. Yes. It's all tying together. Uh, and he's using that to try to create an artificial intelligence in the form of Ultron. Unfortunately, it just goes a little bit haywire. So yes. the way he so he so the whole film starts out with this mission to a little known Eastern European town of Sokovia. Yes. Which sounds like a real place if you don't know Eastern European geography. It does. Which Sok- very few Americans do. Very few do. So Sokovia is a little town. Maybe it sounds like Slovenia? Slovakia? Kind of sounds like Slovenia, Slavic? Slovakia. Again, I'm only assuming that Sokovia is a former Soviet social republic. Probably. Probably. Maybe. It sounds We're just like gonna that. We're just going to go there. Um, my question is, where is, uh, what was it? Latvia, uh, Latveria? Latveria. So I don't think we've even gone into Latveria because... I don't think we're allowed to because Marvel still owned the rights at this time. Correct. So did, <laughs> you know, Fox still owns Latveria and Do Dr. you want to explain Doom. that for the non-Marvel fans on our Really? Audience? Okay, yeah, sure. So Latveria is the principality of uh, of Doom. Victor Von Doom. Victor Von Doom. A.K.A. Who is Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom, who essentially is the lord and sovereign of a Eastern European, uh, you know, city-state called Latveria. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. anyway. I just, that's what sound familiar to Sokovia. Anyway, go anyway, on. Sokovia. So, yeah, so they go to Sokovia. The whole gang teams up. Hulk is there. Hulk's even there. They got the Hulk. Hulk is back. And, Good you know, for him. Ruffalo is, is ruffling up some Hulkness. And, um, you know, sun is going down. Getting <laughs> oh, real low. Getting real, real <laughs> low. And they stumble into Sokovia. They beat up some weird, plucky version of Baron von Strucker. Yeah, they kind of just. Yeah. Shoe hit. He, Shoe he, was, into the movie he was struckered as a struckered can be with a fake. They're like we need to add some monocle. more some more famous villains from the Avengers roster yeah. from the Avengers uh, Rogues Gallery. Yeah, why don't, why don't get Let's just someone... throw him in there he's and the, then kill him. In he's, 10 the, he's, he's the Monopoly guy, but from Marvel. I like. I do love how they gave him a more cyber cybernetic uh, monocle. Yeah, was it a cybernetic <laughs> monocle? It looked like it had some HUD uh, heads-up display, heads display graphics on it. He, was, he had a monocle. My God, he had a I, monocle. This was this is such a stupid character. Anyways, <laughs> so they yes, they Tony Stark ends up crashing in. They I will say one thing by the way, Marvel Comics loved their Barons. They did. You want to name a couple of them? So we Baron have Strucker. Baron von Strucker. We have um, Baron Zemo. Baron Zemo. We have um, Baron... Baron Mordo. Mordo. It was originally Baron, remember? Yeah, it was Baron Mordo. There's a lot of Barons. And I think Baron because it's, again, it's... It's like a a, a German thing. It's a trope. So they like to put it together with the Nazis. It's a bad guy trope. We're going to make the bad guy some kind of, you know, sovereign, you know, feudal ruler. Yeah. You know, whatever. It just sounds evil. Anyway. It sounds evil. Anyways, we have Enhanced in the field, so they're not mutants, Oh, because we can't, can't call that. them mutants. Not yet. Uh, so they're not mutants. They're enhanced. Um, and they were enhanced by Loki's scepter. Yes, that experiment. they were enhanced by Loki's scepter. The only so, survivors, apparently, of the of the experiments they my did. My God. So the two, These were uh, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, so a.k.a. Scarlet pump, Witch and Quicksilver. Let me pump the brakes here a little bit. So in Marvel Comic Universe, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff were the first mutants 
that were invited to become a part of the Avengers. And mutants mm-hmm. in the Marvel comic universe was all were always seen as the pariah, the excuse, the underdog, those that which are the ultimate other. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important part of the comic universe that for me, when they chose to do this film and add these characters and not make them mutants, it for me kind of sucked. Yeah, and it I was just a little ugh. bit of a cop out. And it was I, a cop honestly, out. this movie came out around the same time as uh, Marvel, as Fox's Marvel um, X Men movie, Days yeah. of Future Past. Correct. Which of course they incorporated Quicksilver into that film. Yes, they did. And I swear to goodness, they definitely did it just to to prove to Marvel that they could. To oh, prove okay. to Disney's Marvel that they okay. could. Because it's like saying, hey, if you can use these characters, so can we. So we're going to do it's it. Ridiculous. Even it's though just... it made no sense. And they just literally threw it in the movie just because. And I mean, now we had two Quicksilvers in the same year. Quicksilver, by the way. Quicksilver. Can we just go over Quicksilver a second? Sure. Who cares about Quicksilver? Oh, come on. He's cool. I'm not saying he's not cool. I'm just saying... If Marvel wasn't doing this in the Avengers movie, do you think Fox would be doing this in their movie? Yes. No! Yes. No. I think so. Absolutely not. Nah. Quicksilver, they just did it because they could. And they said, hey, if you can use this character, so can we. What do you want to use him for? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Listen, for fraternal, twin, for fraternal twins everywhere, I think Quicksilver and the Scarlet <laughs> Witch are pretty cool. All right. I'm I, not saying they're not cool. I'm not dissing Fraternal Twins. There's I'm nothing not wrong with him. He can move fast. I'm just saying, as a character, this I is know. not someone who someone goes out of their way to put into a movie. I identified with Quicksilver. He was a fraternal twin. <laughs> and so was I. Okay. Technically, so am I still. You're still a fraternal twin. I'm still twin. a fraternal twin. Dang You'll it. always be a fraternal twin. I, and so will Quicksilver, even though they kill him off in this movie listen you know there's uh, every quicksilver has a different way of catching bullets this yes. movie just caught him just a little bit more caught them literally. more directly <laughs> i know my gosh anyways it's body. so yes we have now i really liked what they did with the scarlet witch though yeah i really thought that the way that olsen used her hands used her body language it really kind of worked and she's Probably one of the only saving graces, I feel, that came out of this film for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that they've used her in a lot of the more future Avengers films. Yeah. Even Captain America um, films. Because she did such a good job. I mean, from the comics, I'm used to Scarlet Witch being more of a uh, messing with probabilities. Kind of using some sort of mutant like Chaos magic. magic. Right. And it was supposed to be more of a lesser known kind of ability like it doesn't make any sense this movie they I think they had to ground it for a mainstream audience and they said it's telekinesis it's telekinesis and it's um, what else was it was that I mean, it oh and it's mind it's reading it's mind I mean so, they gave mind her this weird mind power that yeah. didn't really make sense for the character but you know what it worked for the movie and I like yeah. what they did with it and I don't mind I it don't. my main gripe with this movie though was James Spader's Ultron mm. and I'll be honest with you right now I was not a fan yeah. My main issue with James Spader's Ultron was that Ultron was meant to be a robotic AI. He was supposed to be cold and calculating and kind of, hey, I need to do this because that's the only way to get it done. That was always what I envisioned Ultron being. In this movie, he wasn't much different than that. He's saying, listen, I have a thing I gotta do, and I gotta do, have a means to do it. James Spader's Ultron was a little too much James Spader. In fact, it's honestly more James Spader than James Spader's ever really been. James Spader was always kind of more of a cool, collected character himself. This movie was a little bit over the top in terms of how Ultron was represented. It was horrible. 
didn't make sense for a robot. That's no, all I'm saying. And I get it. He was an AI. He could think. He could feel. He could do his own things. But still, him having, one, a movable mouth. Why did the mouth need to move on the robot? Didn't. I'm just saying. It didn't. Ultron it didn't, didn't have at a movable all. mouth? It was a speaker box. Just have it be a speaker box. You don't have to animate every little thing, Marvel, because your animators can. Okay? Wow. Just make it make sense. Okay? And it and looked animated. I mean, you're dealing it with... It looks so animated. Oh, it's it so... It looks silly. God. Why would metal need to move like that no. to manipulate words? I don't know. Just put a speaker box on it and call it a day. Why did they give him teeth? The Ultron bots, like the, 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 sub, the, the secondary bots, looked more like Ultron and made more sense. They should have all looked like that. Yeah. Ultron Prime, and I get why they had an Ultron Prime. That was in the comics, too. But Ultron Prime didn't need to have a movable mouth with lips and teeth and yeah. whatever they put on his face. Well, they just motion... They come in, you, know, you know why they did it? Because they motion captured James Spader and they just they had to, made right? it metal. Here's know. the thing, though. Okay, James Spader's character was a bit silly in the way he presented a Ultron. Bit, a bit silly? Very a bit silly. silly. He's incredibly silly. It was so it, silly. You ever make an omelet? Why would a robot even talk like that? No, it makes no sense. Um, and then he talks about how um, what uh, how people fear the things that they make, and people fear what are those things called? Oh, children. I forgot the word for a second. Oh. What is that? That's a. T- I don't know if that's a joke. I don't know if that's like a, a thing. It's not a thing. I don't it's know terrible. what they. I honestly don't know what. Was anyone even directing him? They just put him in a it voice was, room and just said, go? It was Joss Whedon getting too carried away with himself. Or getting lazy. That was it. Joss Whedon can be an amazing writer, and Joss Whedon can be a really schlocky writer. No offense to Joss Whedon and Joss Whedon fans out there, but let's be honest, it's 100% true. And yeah. when Joss Whedon was doing the first Avengers, he knew he had to be on his best behavior yeah. if he wanted to direct the sequel. He knew he had to be on his best behavior if he wanted to make a movie that was going to redefine superhero genre as it, as it stood. But in the second movie, they said, let's give him a little bit more freedom in certain respects. He was wearing, he was wearing loafers this whole time, I guarantee it, you. They let it go to his head. He was just walking around the set, drinking mm-hmm. a cappuccino with a little uh, freaking zip hoodie on. They didn't care. What they didn't let Joss Whedon do was put the actual parts of the story that made sense in the movie. Yeah. A.K.A. the entire sequence that they cut of Thor visiting the Norns, the, uh, the kind of fates of the Norse world or whatever. Cut a huge part of that sequence out. Yeah. But they left part of it in just so they could have the Chris Hemsworth uh, obligatory shirtless scene. Yeah. Uh, and what you mean the the jacuzzi of dreams? The jacuzzi of dreams. That's oh the one. God. What, and what is this? They, he, I will say in this case, he was luckily fought for the fact that he kept the Hawkeye uh, kind of farm experience in the movie, which I think did make sense for the story and the pacing. Yeah. But man, I like it. Liked might it. have also lasted a little too mm-hmm. long. Let's let's know. talk about the elephant and or the green elephant in the room. Yeah. The forced romance between Hulk and Black Widow. No, please I don't get it. please for the life of me help me understand how I'll tell you the, that's the, supposed the main, to work. The main reason they did that was because they're trying to forget and make everyone else forget about the incredible Hulk movie and because they already replaced Edward Norton with Mark Ruffalo, they also had to realize they're not going to be bringing back Liv Tyler anymore. So let's try to give Hulk a new love interest. Why the heck does Hulk need a a love interest? Uh, Well, I mean, from a character standpoint, Betty Ross was a great love interest for the Hulk. And it was kind of that that torn, almost Romeo and Juliet-like love of they can't be together because they're from different sides, you know? They're from different aspects, you know? Uh, It just doesn't make any sense. Her father was General uh, Thunderbolt Ross... 
Well, that makes more sense. Right, and it was like a really good kind of unforbidden love story. It was great. And they also were scientists together at the same university. That like that worked. But Black Widow getting together with Bruce Banner did not make any sense. And they clearly forced that in there <laughs> just to have a fourth Clearly? Story. Really? You, you didn't think that ScarJo in the back of her mind was like, while she's giving the lines, why Why is this happening? <laughs> why, why am I finding this man interesting? I mean, I it doesn't know. even build off the previous stories. If she's going to have a love interest, give her Cap. Mm-hmm. They had a connection. They had chemistry. There's no chemistry between Ruffalo and, and Scarlett Johansson. He tried to kill her in, mm-hmm. in the Avengers. Oh, yeah. Like she, she, if anyone had post-traumatic stress disorder, it would have been her from yeah. the first Avengers after she, she literally almost had a breakdown. And she's the, the, she's the, the Cold War era hardened spy, yeah. ex-KGB or whatever. I don't get it. Uh, anyway, what happened in the rest of the movie? Uh, Ultron decided it would be best to drop a, a city on the world drop as like a, a meteorite yeah, to kill and destroy all life mm-hmm. on Earth. We'll just use vibranium and we'll introduce the oh, claw. Yeah, vibranium. Yeah, we introduce Ulysses' claw mm-hmm. played by Pretzels, uh, uh, Nolan Pretzels. Wait, wait, come on. That is uh, the original Star-Lot one from Andy Circus. Yes, Andy Circus. He, he, Andy Circus was Ulysses' claw. Yeah. Who they Ooh. just snuck in here. Honestly, I will say, I will say this. Great character. Oh, he, he, he played a great okay, character there. Justin, can Andy Serkis ever do any wrong? I haven't seen him doing it yet. Andy Serkis. So Andy Serkis, like some of the other characters in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe with Loki, mm-hmm. they're just good character actors. They are. They really are. There are some people that I don't think are very good character actors. And there are some that are. I do find it a tad bit ironic that Andy Serkis, one of the preeminent actors who has revolutionized motion capture, was in a movie where there was tons of motion capture, i.e. the Hulk, i.e. Uh, James Spader as Ultron, and he didn't do any motion capture in the movie. I know, but he, he did offer some candy to the twins. He did technically do that. For me, just this this movie was just... I, I I really think he kind of hung up his his uh, work pants and just didn't care, like Andy the Serkis? whole no the director oh Joss Whedon like yeah. even the whole scene with Betty, the whole freaking you know the Hulkbuster armor Veronica oh was it Veronica yeah, it was, that's why they did it because Betty and Veronica Betty and Veronica so Betty was... Veronica I mean this anyway. whole Hulk Hulkbuster thing well the Hulkbuster sequence was amazing by oh, itself. Oh, it wasn't. It was record. a CGI mishmash. I think it was actually quite enjoyable. Bah. And I enjoyed the scene. Blah. Um, I just think that the movie overall didn't make much sense. Uh, and again, this was an enjoyable movie. I did rewatch this many times just because it was fun to watch. And as an overall fun movie, I think it was good. Did it have the overarching and over... over-connecting... Uh, good plot points and storylines that the first Avengers had, the way they came together, the kind of camaraderie they had? No, it didn't. It was it was clearly a sequel meant to be a sequel. I thought the movie was just kind of really, I know we've used the term before, but phoned in. Yeah. Um, just because it was, eh, we need to make another Avengers movie. But that, listen, if you're... That might right, not be fair. I feel like they, in some cases they did try to push a lot of parts together, but it just, yeah. it was a little sloppy. And I think they just uh, didn't... Well, do a good enough job. It's a, it was just, they would do a good, good job job. That was, they didn't do it. Didn't do it. And CGI works and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. So I know we've all seen this movie. Candy rating, what are you going to do? We're going to move on. What do we got? Um, candy rating for this, I would have to say 
this was a, a movie that was fun and enjoyable, but then you kind of don't want it anymore after a little while. I'd give this like a Butterfingers. Nobody better lay a finger on my Butterfinger. But honestly, you can lay a finger on this one. You can take it if you want. I'd say it's worth at least uh, five Butterfingers. Uh, but and then you realize after you're eating too many Butterfingers, they kind of get stuck in your teeth and you're kind of just picking at them for a while and you're like, yeah. I'm kind of done with the Butterfingers. You know what I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with those uh, white That's chocolate fun. Reese's peanut butter cups. So it's like Reese's, but then you have to realize it's white chocolate. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's too sugary, it's too manufactured, it's too sweet, and you know it's all fake. Yeah. And it's just... But it's still Reese's, right? It's still Reese's. You're still getting candy. You're still getting the Reese's. I still mean, the you, go to, you go to a store, you go into a store, you buy a box of candy, you eat candy, you're like, yeah, that was candy. Essentially what that was. I'm getting a tummy ache from all this candy. I know. Too much. Anyways, on to the next one. So we're looking at, to round out Marvel Phase 2 with Ant-Man. Ant-Man. So Ant-Man... With uh, Paul Rudd. It was uh, directed by Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. So, interesting thing about this movie was that this movie was originally, I think, pitched and and kind of put together. Story, of course, by Edgar Wright. Mm. Edgar Wright of Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, mm. uh, At World's End. All the like those really great British comedy movies. Edgar Wright is honestly one of the most recent auteurs in our day and age. Like, mm. he's a really great comedy director. No, Scott is. Pilgrim vs. the World. Let's not forget. No, I love Scott Possibly one of the best movies ever made. That was great. Um, Edgar Wright pitched this movie and said, I want to make a heist film starring Ant-Man, and I'll do this for Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unfortunately, and I think this kind of this could have been seen from a mile away, unfortunately, Marvel said, listen, we want to do something specific with this movie, and your idea is just a little too much. I don't know what the exact... Um, uh, conversation was, but for whatever reasons, they had a parting of ways due to creative differences. Mm. So they so they got the guy that directed Bring It On. Yeah, so they thought that okay. would be a good idea. Yeah, why not? Honestly, I don't think the movie turned out to be bad. I think no. it was still enjoyable. They yeah. did still use this, most of the script that they had written by Edgar Wright, at least. I mean, that's got to be a plus on there. I'm thinking that was probably a saving grace. At least. Yeah, um, Peyton Reed definitely benefited from that. Had this been an actual Edgar Wright film, I feel, and this is what the same thing they did, by the way, with the other actors that Marvel got rid of, the other directors that Marvel didn't want to keep on anymore, um, when they got rid of Terrence Howard from Iron Man, when they got rid of uh, Ed, uh, what's his name, Edward Norton yeah. from The Hulk, and they replaced them with other actors, they did the same thing pretty much. With Edgar Wright as the director. Mm. And they said, listen, we're not happy with what you're doing. We don't like the idea the way it's going to go. So we're going to replace you before the movie even gets started. Yeah. I think they had, to, they had to push this and fast track the movie because they did replace the director. Could you imagine, though, what this movie would have been? An Edgar Wright directed anime movie would have been probably, honestly, in my opinion, too good for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. I think it would have been a step above everything else, in my personal opinion, in my humble opinion... And I don't think it would have actually any take like fit within the rest of the scope of the universe. Well, I mean, the director uh, has been known for mainly plucky, over-the-top, textbook, basically goof movies. Edgar Wright or Peyton Reed? Oh, Peyton Reed. Oh, Peyton Reed, yeah. All he's, all he's done has been Very these, like, bring it on, uh, textbook, you know, popcorn, stupid films that are... You know, just drooling and mm-hmm. plastic and crap. But I, I really say, think that yeah. Paul Rudd yes. 
had a lot to do with the success of this film. I think so, too. Uh, Paul Rudd played Scott Lang, the new Ant-Man. Uh, the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym, who we mentioned before, he was the one who initially in the comics created Ultron, did not create Ultron in these movies, but Hank Pym was the creator of the Pym Particles, just yes. like in the comics. That was played by Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Who honestly kind of made a little bit of a comeback in terms of film acting since he's getting a bit older right now. Uh, but I'm glad to see that he's still pushing along and making these great films. I love the de-aging they did. Oh, yeah. That they did some so good de-aging cool. on Michael Douglas so for some of the other scenes. Oh, my scenes. gosh. Um, now, we also had... Um, Evangeline Lilly mm -hmm. as Hope Van Dyne, uh, yes. Hank Pym's daughter, who would eventually play the Wasp. And, ah, there it is. Corey Stoll, am I saying that right? Yeah. Corey Stoll played um, Darren... Darren Cross. Darren Cross. As Yellow Jacket. The Yellow Jacket. The, the villain, which, let's be honest here, is the same exact thing that we saw in the first Iron Man movie. This movie was just Iron Man mini. Is why I would put this movie. Yeah, it's micro. Because it was, he gets the suit, mm -hmm. has to turn small, mm -hmm. bad guy gets the same suit, mm -hmm. all turn small, fight yeah. each other. That's right. Every single time, it's the same three-act structure, and that's the downside of these Marvel movies. You're getting the same thing. It's very, very formulaic. Well, if it's not broken, it makes you a billion dollars. that's it. That's it. Don't if it fix ain't it. broke, don't fix it. And that's what they've been doing. And then they're sticking to it. And uh, it's been working out pretty well so far. I mean, they did make money. I mean, it's, you know, they still, the same budget, about $130 million. They still, cumulative worldwide, made $519 million. As long as you're okay with getting the same thing time and again, we're going to keep going to the movies, apparently. I mean, gross U.S. was, I mean, they didn't really make as much money in the U.S. This movie was not what they would consider, I guess, a fully successful film. It was successful, yeah. but it wasn't the numbers they were hoping to put up, I don't think. I mean, this this for me was about as successful as Multiplicity. <laughs> the They should just call that Many Batmans. Many Batmans. Many, many Batman Dads. Su uh, Super Keaton. Um, what was that movie Keaton did before? It was uh, Super Dad? Or? Super Dad, I don't know. No, it was like... Something uh, like that. But listen, I... Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. I, I like Paul Rudd. I think Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd is a lovable actor who can play any part and you'll have an enjoyable experience just watching someone who seems like a generally good person. That's Paul Rudd for you. I mean, let's be honest. I would watch Paul Rudd uh, reading the dictionary yep. to a bunch of goats. Yep. <laughs> I, You know, they should... That actually would make a really Listen, good movie. We should I, make that. You know, Chris, do you do a holiday special, have Paul Rudd reading like a fairy tale by a fire with a bunch of goats... People I think you get your it. next Netflix special right there. I'd watch it. That's it. Um, no, but I, you know, I think he did a great job. Evangeline Lilly did a great job. I yeah. think they had chemistry, which is not always apparent, you know, of Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, but I think they had chemistry. I thought that Corey Stoll played a very formulaic, as you said, mm -hmm. bad guy. He was, I mean, did they try to say that he was going crazy because of the shrinking stuff? Yes. Like that was part of it? I mean, like, was I mean, he not like... I mean, listen, all bad guys. I mean, I know that, that Marvel has done a better job in the past maybe four or five years with their bad guys. Mm -hmm. But Corey Stoll was the stereotypical, I'm, I'm just going to kill goats and not care. Bad version bad of the good guy. guy. Yeah, he was very... Money, power. For the money, for the power. Bad I think guy. they were dealing with Hydra in the end of the movie. Probably. I don't anyway, know. this movie at least had a good excuse. that At least they asked in the movie... Hey, if we have this bad thing going to happen, why don't we call the Avengers? 
That's what I love about Paul Rudd. He just yeah. calls out, like, he's saying what the audience is thinking. Why don't we call the Avengers? Why is everything so ridiculous? And I'm going to call you out on that. He's like, no, no, we can't call the Avengers because uh, they're too busy dropping uh, cities on the world, you know? And it's like, okay. And Dr. Hank Pym, with Michael Douglas's character, is like, no, the Avengers suck. He doesn't like the Avengers. I don't like the In Avengers. In fact, he, do- he has a very specific uh, understanding of the power structure of how these powers work both his and theirs, and he says, listen, I don't want to involve more powers in this that only make it more dangerous. There'll probably be more collateral damage. And we even see this in one of my favorite scenes <clears throat> where Paul Rudd, while wearing um, the Ant-Man suit, drops into Avengers HQ and actually has to take on Falcon. Yeah, they did bring so that together. So there was a cameo with Anthony Mackie as, as uh, the Falcon. That's so fun. Yeah, the only thing I don't understand is this technology should make someone essentially unstoppable right i mean that's the whole idea essentially you have something that you can't see mm-hmm. it's the size of an ant mm-hmm. i don't know how by the way i don't know how falcon's uh suit goggles saw that because he should have been seeing every ant in the entire vicinity then no there's some good goggles yeah really good goggles tony stark goggles yeah but um if someone's the size of an ant and they can punch with stronger than human punches they would be, like, ripping people apart left and right. This should be some of the strongest technology in the entire Marvel Universe. Essentially be a human bullet. They keep they keep making it. They keep limiting it, though. Yeah. They keep making it so it's... Oh, it's not that powerful. They should make this the most powerful. This should be, like, literally, the way Hank Pym talks about it, at least. They should make this one of the most dangerous sources of technology. Way stronger, way more effective than the Iron Man suit, the Hulk, and Captain America. Combined. Well, it was in the comics. I mean, so exactly. One they, of the, they just underplay this movie. So one of the things I really didn't, as someone who read the comics, who I didn't enjoy, is that Hank Pym has bipolar disorder. Does he undiagnosed? Oh no, in the comics, diagnosed. Oh, in the comics, yes. Yeah, absolutely. in the comic universe, Hank Pym has a serious mental health problem. It torments him. It torments his relationship with his wife, uh, you know, Janet Van Dyne. And it shines a light on mental health issues. And it does shine a light on mental health issues, but it also deals with the fact that not only is he a scientist who has access to technology that can really be very destructive, but he's someone who doesn't have a hold on his own emotions and and, uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's an interesting dichotomy, but... We kind of get teased with it a little bit when um, when Dr. Hank Pym in this film played, you know, by Michael Douglas kind of flips out. But we don't really get to see it. Um, and Paul Rudd plays it off as comical, and so mm-hmm. we don't really get to feel it. So I think I think there was a lot of times in the So you're film, saying in the movie you think he has bipolar disorder as well? I mean, they, they didn't go into it. In the comic I, book universe, Dr. Hank Pym having a mental illness mm-hmm. is a huge part of who he is. It destroys his marriage. It destroys his ability to be a superhero. And he literally has to take himself off the playing field to deal with his illness. Because mm-hmm. all of his teammates are like, you know, Hank, you got a problem. You need to address this. You're a danger to us and yourself. Yeah. But they're not going to show that in this film because the film is basically just a popcorn movie where we like to watch Paul Rudd make jokes and shrink into sizes where he can fight ants. That's I mean, you know, and, and again, I... This film, listen, I liked this film. I thought it was enjoyable. I thought that because of Edgar Wright's screenplay, mm-hmm. it saved the whole film. Yeah. Um, we see down the road, and we'll go into this in our um, Phase 3 review, but I did not like Ant-Man 2, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. We'll get there. I mean, we'll get there. I know we reviewed it, 
Yeah. You know, as a standalone. We'll get there in the phase two, but my whole thing is like, you know, like with Captain America Winter Soldier, yes, it's a comic book movie, but it's also an ability, it's a medium to tell a story. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to tell a story that actually matters. And I really don't think at the end of the day that the Ant-Man story really matters much. In the grand scheme of things. It had a couple of parts in it that I think made sense for the overarching kind of connective tissues between the universe. Um, there were there were aspects that did work. But yeah, for the most part, I would agree with you in that there wasn't a ton in there that made it super relevant to the greater overarching story. I mean, you know, it was funny. I mean, it was a comedy. It yes. was funny. And it, I think it was that... clearly meant to be kind of a, a, a lighter heart capping of the end of the phase two do we want to talk about michael pena oh yeah let's talk about michael pena michael pena was great what, do you, what did you think uh i'm so glad they ended the movie and it's really impressive that he was in there because you realize paul rudd is the is the comedy you know paul rudd is always the funny man in the room um michael pena did a great job as playing to almost like a foil or actually sidekick he was a sidekick, he was a sidekick. to paul rudd's ant-man in almost ways where he was funnier, which is great. I love that he was in there. I think that Michael Pena was funnier. Yeah. I think that he, only he, I don't even think it was the lines that he was given. I think it was the way that he delivered them and the way that he embodied this very jovialent, very aloof, kind of optimistic character. Mm-hmm. It was really endearing. So, yeah. I mean, there there were endearing parts to the film. It was very funny. I liked the play between, um, you know, his, his daughter... Uh, Scott Lang's daughter. Mm-hmm. Good motivations for you him, know. There were you know father being being a being a father as a single father and and all that. I don't know. I just I thought it was cool, but at the end of the day, meh. Are people in another twenty years going to go back in time and watch Ant Man? I don't really know. They might. They I might. Will they yeah. watch Guardians of the Galaxy? Heck yes. I think so. You know that's my thing. Is like when I have children, if I'm blessed with children, what are the superhero movies I'm going to show them? It's probably not going to be Ant-Man 1. It'll probably be Guardians. It'll probably be Winter Soldier. And it'll probably be the first Avengers. You're thinking a little too much about this right now. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's... <laughs> listen, we're reviewing movies because we care. Yeah. You know, because we... We care. We, we care. do care. We do. We, you know, we love we're the craft caring. of filmmaking. We love the feeling uh, that we get as a, as a member of the audience enjoying this stuff. This is why we do this. So let's, before we go on to wrap up our phase two review, let's go ahead and give Ant-Man a candy rating. What what do you think on this? I think uh, Ant-Man was kind of like what Anthony Mackie called him, kind of like a tic-tac. Small, powerful. I'd go with orange tic-tacs in this case because it was sweet too. So I'd say I give it a, about three quarters of a full case of Tic Tacs. Three quarters of a full case I think of... If you go, I wouldn't give it the full, the full Orange Tic Tacs. Quite, right. quite a full orange Tic Tacs, but it's, a, it's three quarters of it. That's fine. That's a good one. Tic Tac, just like uh, Ant-Man himself. Yeah, I'm going to... It's There's a stick and there's that, that like sugary stuff and you have to stick the stick and... The lick and dip. The... Uh, <laughs> What do they call that stuff? Yeah. I'm going to give this a blue raspberry lick and dip. Just the blue raspberry part. Yeah, just yeah. the blue raspberry because, you know, it's interesting. It's interest. It's fun. You, you know, it's kind of sour, but at the end of the day. You have a good time with it. You look like an idiot. Because your tongue's all blue. Because your tongue's blue and, and, and you realize you don't want to eat the stick. But you have to eat the stick. You have to, but it's just, it's there's no flavor. It's just. That's what the blue's for. That's what the blue is for. 
But you, you're after at the end Blue's of the day, flavor. you realize what are you eating? You're, you're just eating some kind of confectionery. You're just adding concoction. the sugar to a stick. It's just sugar. That's also edible. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no real flavors. That There's sounds... no real ingredients. It's just chemicals in a bag that you're shoveling into your mouth, and you're Listen, like, dang. When you're all done with that, I'll give you a tic tac. You know, I could use a tic tac. Okay. Those are pretty good. All right. Well, this was our Marvel uh, Phase 2 review. So just looking back mm-hmm. on the entire Phase 2. Yeah. You know, we're, we're covering a lot of years. We're covering, you know, well, I mean, not a lot of years. We're going from 2015 to, to 2013. How has it only been 2013, 2014? That's like, like three, three years. years of movies. Technically. That's a lot of movies to go through in three years. Well, it's six movies. They did six two movies in three years. Dang. I will say this had some obviously highs when we went over um, Captain America Winter Soldier and Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy. Both probably two of the best examples in mm-hmm. the entire universe. Awesome. Then you had some really lows yeah. in the form of Thor The Dark World. Okay. And I will say Iron Man 3, while enjoyable, again, not a great film. Yeah. Very poorly done overall it doesn't have great rewatchability because you realize how many plot holes there are in this film yeah and then you have kind of your so-so average maybe just slightly below average movies in the forms of avengers age of ultron and ant-man i enjoyed ant-man again i enjoyed avengers but you realize it's just one what is ant-man really giving to you and two how silly is age of ultron in terms of what it's presenting so overall i'd say phase two was it's tough too because I really like some of these movies. Phase two, I think those happen to be outliers. I would say they they were they got lucky with some of those movies. The yeah. rest of the phase two was actually kind of low. Yeah, I mean, it, listen, all most sequels are never really as good as the original. Mm-hmm. On the norm, on the whole, very few exceptions. Very few very exceptions. Few. So you know, aside from Star Wars and all that, <laughs> but in Captain America, which you know, but it's yeah, I you know I agree with you. I think that. If you're looking at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, I would say that Phase 2 was kind of a dud. Or not a, a lull. A lull. Yeah. A lull. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't... Again, if... Not a dud. Not it, a dud. It, it, it was a lull. I mean, if you if you take... If you took out Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Guardians, it would definitely be a dud. But because of those, I would say it's a bit of a lull, but they it's a learning lull. Yeah. They're learning what the audience likes and what lackadaisical... Uh, they can what they can do, mm-hmm. and I think with Age of Ultron they learned a lot because of the critic reception. Yeah, um, and I think they learned a lot also in Thor: Dark World. I think uh, they better have. They definitely did because of Thor Ragnarok. Oh, I mean, yeah. without without going through that kind of bramble patch mm-hmm. of just baseline plot and story structure you wouldn't get to a point where they're starting to realize as a studio what people like, yeah. what people don't like, and, and what's going to make us the most, well, the most uh, return on our investment in these properties. Absolutely. But, um, but no, I, you know, I enjoyed Marvel. it. Yeah. We'll go over uh, season, uh, Marvel Phase 3. Phase 3, coming soon. Coming soon. We're probably going to... Be gonna, on the lookout. Like, we were going to, we wanted to go over a movie, but just, you know, sometimes there's a month or two where there's not really a lot out that's... You know, I listen. We could have reviewed Venom, but we just—I don't see a reason. For I that don't right see now. a reason. So we're gonna bring come back with uh, Phase Three yeah. very soon, very and soon. Uh, we're gonna be uh, showing you how we feel about that. Phase Three, of course, uh, we'll be wrapping up with yeah. the fourth Avengers in a little bit. Avengers Four. Who knows uh, what'll happen? At the time of this recording, it's still a couple months away. A couple months away. 
where, where there's no so, trailers out there. There's really no images out there aside from a couple. So uh, we know Captain Marvel's on the way, which is gonna be exciting. We'll be we'll be reviewing uh, what we have up to this point. Yeah, and uh, obviously Phase Four is gonna have a lot more movies in it. And uh, obviously this podcast went a little bit longer than we usually go. A little longer. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll try to keep Phase 4 into a more timely manner. Yeah, Make sure we keep that If you're together. still with us, we, we appreciate it. Tell <laughs> your you, friends. Tell your friends. Like tell and your, subscribe. Your is that what pets, they say? Tell your inanimate objects that have sentience. Anything, really. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I guess that is about does it. So we will... See you next time. Yeah, uh, I'm Justin Meltzer. And I'm Andy Condon. And we are two guys... Reviewing stuff. See you next time at the movies.